Today on A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. I'm always suspect of people that say they have to swear they're telling me the truth. No, I swear I'm telling you the truth. Why do you have to swear? Why don't you just tell me the truth? No, give me a stack of Bibles right now. I'll say it right now. Do you need a stack of Bibles? One is not sufficient. Your word is not your bond. Why? Why do you need a stack of Bibles? I swear on my mother's grave. You know what? That's wrong. That's so wrong. I mean, people say, have you heard people say that? Why, why do you have to do that? Because you're not a person of your word. You're not trustworthy. You need a stack of Bibles. You need to just, you know, call heaven is, God is my witness. He, really? Is he? I mean, because I'm pretty sure that you would be honest if you were. Okay, listen, I'm going to be honest with you right now. Oh, now? Now you're going to be honest with me? What have you been saying for the last 30 minutes? Lies? Well, from the politician who says one thing and does another to the student who cheats on a test, or the salesman that shades the truth to close the deal. We can't help but ask, where is integrity these days? Jesus has something important to say on the subject, and we'll have that for you today on A Daily Walk as we get back into the Sermon on the Mount. How good is your word? Find out as we look at the word. Pastor John Randall is covering Matthew 5, verses 33 through 48. Verse 33, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you can't make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. In the Old Testament, there are several scriptures that relate to making a vow, making a promise, saying that you were going to do something. For example, Leviticus 19 says, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of, of your God, for I am the Lord. Uh, numbers, if a man makes a vow, Numbers 30 verse 2 says, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds from his mouth. Deuteronomy 23 says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, don't delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Another way to say it is if you're going to say it and you say you're going to do it, do it. It's just basically saying being a, a person of your word. Why is this controversial? Why, why would Jesus bring this up? Ah, because the religious leaders were so crafty that they had found loopholes how to get out of keeping your word. They could say something, but if they said it in a certain way, they still had the obligation to get out of it if they were required to do it. It's like, well, can I say it to you like this? Maybe you didn't do this growing up. I did. When somebody asks you to do something and you <laughs> cross your fingers, somehow this cancels out keeping your word. Remember that? Did you ever do that as a child when they said to you, hey, are you going to do this? Yep. I don't have to do it. Uh -huh. I cross my fingers. You can't do it. And then, and then you'd be busted. Or you, you, know, they, you didn't have to keep your word. Or if you were really sneaky and they said, keep your word. You're like, let me see your fingers. I'm going to do it. I said I would. Okay. Oh, my legs are crossed. You didn't see it. Ah. 
ridiculous. It's kind of like that, but different. The religious leaders, they would make these vows and how they would get around it Jesus actually called them out on this because they, they found ways of, of sidestepping an obligation and, and made it not binding. They could take an oath, but it wasn't binding. And what they would do, Matthew 23, Jesus, just, just for the sake of understanding it, he talks about them. Woe to you blind guides. You, you swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, oh, then you're obliged to perform it. So a religious leader says, hey, I swear by the temple, I'll do it. Okay, thanks, thanks for, thanks for saying that, you got it. Then they come to you the next day, hey, you, you said you were gonna do this, you swear by the temple. Oh, did I say that? I didn't swear by the gold of the temple. Ha <laughs> ha, I don't have to keep my word. That's kind of what was being taught. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you're not gonna do it, then don't say you're gonna do it. If you say you're gonna do it, then fulfill it. Be, be a person of your word. That's basically what Jesus is, is calling them to do. They were being deceptive and somehow getting out from under. By the way, I don't think you, you don't need to swear to anything. I'm always suspect of people that say they have to swear they're telling me the truth. No, I swear I'm telling you the truth. Why do you have to swear? Why don't you just tell me the truth? No, give me a stack of Bibles right now. I'll say it right now. Give me a stack of Bibles. Do you need a stack of Bibles? One is not sufficient. Your word is not your bond. Why? Why do you need a stack of Bibles? I swear on my mother's grave. You know what? That's wrong. That's so wrong. I mean, people say, have you heard people say that? Why? Why do you have to do that? Because you're not a person of your word. You're not trustworthy. You need a stack of Bibles. You need to just, you know, call heaven is, God is my witness. He, really? Is he? I mean, because I'm pretty sure that you would be honest if you were. Okay, listen, I'm going to be honest with you right now. Oh, now? Now you're going to be honest with me? What have you been saying for the last 30 minutes? Lies? How about this? You ever filled out a contract for anything? There's like a hundred pages. Do you read every single? I don't. You sign. Okay. You're signing your initials everywhere. All right, let's do it. You don't even know what you just signed. Why all the signatures? So that you'll keep your word because your word is not necessarily your bond. It used to be. Handshake was good. Not anymore. You got to protect yourself. Jesus is saying, listen, my disciples, those people that follow me, they say it and they do it. They don't say one thing and then do the other. It's important. It's important. So ask ourselves the question. Is there anything I said I was going to do and I haven't done yet? Ladies are like, honey, you know what you said. I haven't done it. Can I get it in writing? No. No, you can't. Be a person of your word. That is what Jesus is saying here. You don't need to swear by heaven. You don't need to swear by God's throne. You don't need to do any of that. Just say what you're gonna say and, and then and follow through with it. Do what you said you're gonna do. Again, it's important to do that. Be a person of your word. Yes, yes, and no, no. Don't partially say, you know, tell the, and it's, it becomes a lie. Jesus continues on. And he says, how about the law of retaliation? Mm, this is an interesting one. Probably one of the most misunderstood passages of scripture, at least in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. 
If anyone wants to sue you, take away your tunic. Let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Again, probably no portion of the Sermon on the Mount more misunderstood than verses 38 to 42. Jesus begins as he did with previous illustrations, to say this, you've heard that it's been said. In other words, there was some kind of teaching that the rabbis taught concerning retaliation that Jesus is saying something counter to what they had said, the actual interpretation. And where this stems from, and you'll read it several times in the Old Testament, is the the phrase eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. How many of you ever heard that before? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. All right, there you go. You've heard it before. Exodus 21. It says this, if men fight and hurt a woman with child, she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows. He shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him. He shall pay as the judges determine. But if any man, if any harm follows, life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Another passage, Leviticus chapter 20, says the same thing. Deuteronomy chapter 19, also in the law declares, your eye shall not pity, life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So there you have an Old Testament teaching and the rabbis interpret it in such a way. That law primarily had to do with civil justice. Civil justice, handling things civilly in a court of law. There, there was a time for that. And that's primarily what the law was concerned with when it talked about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And the reason that that law was put into place was in order that the punishment would match the crime, that it didn't exceed the crime. The penalty didn't go beyond what was demanded or less than what was demanded. This was God's standard for justice. And this would guard against vengeance or violent revenge. Because the natural tendency is if you take one of my teeth, I'm gonna knock all of yours out. Eye for an eye and teeth for a tooth. I mean, I'm just gonna, you just want to get them back even worse. And so there was this standard, this guide that was put in place. The Lord restricts in his word saying, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The law was put in place by God and was not to be taken into our own hands. I become the law. I am the vigilante. I am the one that's going to take matters into my own hands. Listen, there are times when you have to go to court. Not that you want to. You try to avoid it. But sometimes it's unavoidable. The law is put in place for the lawless. It's to protect. There's a reason for the law. There's a reason for these things. And we can see it certainly in our day. But the problem was the rabbinical teaching taught that the law, that is the Old Testament, gave you the license to exact justice and personal vengeance. They felt the law made allowance for it. And that is what they taught. To them, an eye for an eye was not a limitation, but an opportunity for revenge. And Jesus says, I tell you, don't resist an evil person. It's important again to keep in mind the context, what Jesus is saying when you study a passage of scripture, that it doesn't contradict other passages of scripture. You don't take scripture out of its context. Jesus is not implying that you shouldn't have civil authority uh, being used resisting what is evil in the world. He's not saying that we shouldn't stand against what is evil. That would be inconsistent with the rest of scripture. That's not a proper interpretation. The laws of the land are put in place for a reason to hold people accountable who break the laws or violate the laws. They're put in place by God. Romans chapter 13 verses one through four would be a great passage to cross-reference to make that particular point clear. 
First Peter also talks about this. First Peter chapter two, verses 13 through 15 talks about people are put in place to keep the law in place, to protect the citizens. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about here has to do primarily not with civil justice in civil matters, but personal matters, taking matters into your own hands to where you become the court, the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Jesus said, for my disciples, we live differently. We live counter-culturally. Again, if you read this passage in the Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, it's mentioned, you discover that it is clearly a prerogative of the civil justice system. The trial, the sentencing, always the responsibility of the appointed judges. Jesus reveals the heart of the matter and he makes it clear that the law of retaliation was not meant for personal offenses. Listen, we, <laughs> you and me, we have a decision in those moments. When somebody personally offends you, when somebody says something injurious to you, when somebody does something to you, personally, you have a, I have a choice in that matter. I can respond in the way that Jesus would want me to respond or I can respond in the way that I would want to respond. What comes natural to me? What seems right to me? Do you know there are many things in the Bible that don't seem right to me? I don't like the way that sounds. When Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, again, he's not addressing, not defending yourself or you should just, don't misunderstand, that's silly. Jesus is referring in the context about personal relationships. Jesus talks about in verse 39, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Among the Jewish culture, uh, slapping someone in the face, I'd say in any culture for that matter, was completely degrading and completely disrespectful. Remember the apostle Paul was once unlawfully struck in a court of law and he questioned it in Acts chapter 23. He said, you remember when Paul was struck in the court of law and he said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit and judge me according to the law and you strike me contrary to the law. If you are slighted, if you are struck, disrespected, again, in that moment, I have a decision how I will respond. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, if you suffer for doing good, and you endure it, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I would say that is not my natural tendency, but that's the example of Jesus. There's certain things about Jesus. Oh, I want to be like Jesus in this way, not that way. I want to be like Jesus like this, but not like that. The natural tendency when we are reviled is to respond immediately, to react, to get even. But Jesus didn't call me to be like me. He called me to be like him. And if I'm to be, who's this message for? His disciples. And it's the desire of a disciple to be like his teacher. I guarantee you, I, I'm sure of it. If not today, this week, you will have opportunity to respond in a way like Jesus or like you. I think of this passage when Jesus said, if they compel you to go one mile, go two. What was that a reference to? During the Roman military occupation, 
Rome had so much power over the Jewish people that if they wanted to, they could stop you and say, carry my pack for a mile. And you, you don't question it, you just do it. It's a law of the land. And Jesus said, hey, when they compel you to go one mile, go two. Why would I go two? Because nobody goes two. They do what's required and, and begrudgingly. But when they tell you to go one, go two, go beyond the one mile required by their law and give another mile out of the choice of love. People don't expect that. People expect you and me to respond and they even want to provoke it. But if you don't respond, what are they going to do? I want to give you a couple of examples. Joseph, you remember him? Had a colorful coat and his brothers took it from him, threw him in a pit, and then in human trafficking, sold him, left him, thought he was dead. Oh, how the tables turned years later. When Joseph had the opportunity for justice, there were all of his brothers sitting in front of him, bowing before him. He had a dream one time about them bowing before him. Dream is coming true. What would he do? Well, he loved them. He cared for them. He provided for them. And when they were so worried about him after the father died that he was gonna take vengeance, he said, listen, what you intended for evil, God used for good. He forgave them. I think about David. Oh, Saul, constantly making his life miserable and pursuing him and, and just making things difficult. And even to the point when David had opportunity twice to take Saul out, to just end it all and take the throne. He didn't do it. He said, I'm not gonna raise my hand against God's anointed. And God dealt with Saul. Stephen, preaching this powerful message as the Sanhedrin stoned him with rocks, pelted him with rocks to his death. And what did he say while he was dying? Father, forgive them. Don't count this sin against them. Wow. And then there is... Jesus, Jesus, hanging on a cross. The people that he came to save below the cross, yelling insults at him. If you're really the Christ, why don't you come down from there? Save yourself. If he would have saved himself, we would have never been saved. They spit in his face. They hurled insults at him. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Listen, the people that are opposed to you and the people that hate you in the culture, do you know something? They just don't know what they're doing. They're blind. They're bound. They're lost. They have no clue that they're on their way to hell. Of course, that's how people act who are on their way to hell. That's how people live. That's how you live. That's how I lived apart from Christ. We didn't know what we were doing. And here Jesus is saying to my disciples, to my people that follow me, this is counter to the culture. The culture says live this way, step on anybody that gets in your way, take matters into your own hands, be a vigilante, do what you gotta do. If somebody says something, you know what to do, handle it. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm teaching you something that is so opposite of what the world says. They will not know what to do. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know me, you know me. I'm not saying we shouldn't stand against injustice or stand for righteousness or stand against things that are opposed to the gospel. You know that. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this. How do you stand for those things? Do you do it in a way that honors God? Or do you sink to a level of carnality 
and try to fight evil with evil. That bothers me greatly. Listen, this church stands for what is right, but we will stand for what is right in a way that honors God and doesn't tarnish the name of Christ. I'm gonna tell you honestly, and this is a, a loving, I hopefully gracious rebuke. Christians that wanna stand in the cultural war, you better do it in a way that honors Jesus or don't do it because you make the rest of us look bad. There's a way to stand and a way to say what's right. And there's a way to not do it that makes you look exactly like them. And it's not, it's not getting anybody near Christ. We know it's bad. We know it's evil. But do it in a way that honors God. Can you? Can you do that? Is it possible to do that? I believe it is. Is there any love? I'm not saying you shouldn't have righteous indignation or something shouldn't stir within you. Trust me, there's a lot of things that stir me up and I'm upset about in light of the culture. But this is why we're here. The culture's lost. People are dead. People need Christ. That's why the church is here. We're not here to win a political war. We're, we, our, our fight is much deeper than that, much more important than that. It's a spiritual battle for the souls of men and women that hang in the balance, people between heaven and people between hell. That's what we're here for. And if we lose sight of that, if we lose sight of that, then we've lost what our purpose is as the church. Last time I read the Gospels, Jesus didn't say go into all the world and make Republicans. He said go into all the world and make disciples of him. That's what he said. It's a jet lag. But I'm, I'm, I get, it's, I'm serious. This is burning in my heart. You know, I realize, and I think when you hit the Holy Land, you realize, you know what? What really matters is his kingdom. His kingdom. That's what's going to last. All the kingdoms of men, they're going to eventually come to nothing. That doesn't make me lazy. Oh, I'm active, but I'm also hopeful because I know how it ends. I know how it ends. He wins. He is Lord. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we live counter to this culture. The culture doesn't expect people to be like Jesus and they crucified Jesus. Man, this sermon wrecks me <laughs> in a good way. I mean, it really does. It just, it just shows me, Lord, okay, Spirit of God, work more of Jesus into my life. I need more of Jesus to reach people in this world. I see Jesus hanging and saying, forgive them. Well, I, I don't find myself saying that. I find myself saying, smoke them, you know. <laughs> and the Lord's like, I feel like the disciples and Jesus said to James and John, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to consume these people? Jesus said, you do not know what spirit you are of. <laughs> I came to seek and to save the lost. So may God help us to be his disciples. And listen, if you're not a disciple, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not born again, friend, listen, I plead with you. Eternity is forever. And there's heaven and there's hell. And Jesus died so that you could be in heaven. And if you haven't yet surrendered and submitted your heart to Christ, do not let another moment go by. You may not have another moment. Today could be your day. 
Well, thanks for joining us today on A Daily Walk. To catch a replay of today's message from Pastor John Randall, simply go online to adailywalk.org or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and through the Calvary South OC app. If you'd rather have a CD copy of the study, we can send that to you for a cost of $5. Here's where to reach us toll free, 877-242-0828. You can use that to order resources or if you have any questions, that's 877 877- 242-0828. We light up around here when a listener shares what God is doing in their life and how they're helped through the teaching of God's Word. If you feel led to write, here's our email address, adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. It sure would be nice to connect with you. As we've just begun a new year, we have an excellent new resource to tell you about geared for you ladies. It's A Daily Walk for Women by Michelle Randall. This 366-day devotional will remind you that as Christians, we don't walk alone. Jesus has promised to never leave or forsake us. And he gives us the courage to be strong during uncertain times. We don't need to dread the future because the Lord goes with us. We pray this devotional will bring you hope as you seek Jesus and share in the wisdom of God from the heart of a pastor's wife. We're offering it for the special price of $15. Just call us and request a daily walk for women at 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Again, that's 877-242-0828. And please remember, it's your faithful contribution to the Lord's work at A Daily Walk that allows us to bring Pastor John's studies to the radio every day. We can't do it alone and totally rely on the Lord to make all this happen. Secure donations can be made at adailywalk.org. A Daily Walk is a presentation of Calvary South O.C. 